This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, welcome everybody. Welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. Coming back after a long spiritual vacation. Um, which, by the way, you should know that after, after holidays, people usually feel they have to get back into spirituality. It shouldn't be that way. You should be more psyched about spirituality in the holiday. That's the whole point of the holidays. So you just got out of the holiday of Pesach. You should be feeling psyched to do more. You know how it gets you come out of a long vacation, you have to go back to work. And so now you're working and now you have to get back in the motion. That is understandable. But if you're coming from a spiritual high, you shouldn't have to get back to the spiritual high. Now, I don't know what everybody's current status, you know, via spirituality is at this point. But that's the, that's how you know you had a successful holiday. When you're coming out of the holiday on a spiritual high as opposed to on a spiritual, uh, a spiritual low. Okay. So now, uh, let us, uh, let us begin. Tonight we're learning for Lufuash Namatu Yechaskal Ben Tzila. So we are continuing our Foundation of Faith series. It's, it's actually been a while. We actually didn't do this in, since before Purim. It's actually quite, quite some time. Um, and I've actually had quite a few people reach out to me and be like, are you going to finish this uh, series? I don't know if I have the reputation out there not to finish series. <coughs> I don't know. But, um, the, but we are going to go and, and finish uh, this series. So being that it's been a long time, let's do a quick... Uh, recap on, uh, we're up to principle number 10 tonight, so let's do a quick recap of the first nine, then we'll begin to, uh, on, on principle number 10. By the way, this one is so important, uh, because this one has any psychologists or studying to be psychologists in this room over here? Every Jewish woman, okay, okay, no. Um, generally speaking, if you go, um, if you ask a Jewish crowd if there's any type of profession, if it's a woman crowd, there's gotta be at least one therapist in the room. Is there any therapists here? No, or, or studying to be one, that's fine. Studying, okay. No one's raising their hand. Okay, don't be shy. Okay, three, four, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I'm confused in life. Yeah, undecided. Huh? It's also therapy. And, uh, and then accountant. Uh, there's got, but I don't know about so much about the, uh, the woman. Um, and also psychology, because... Yeah, that's true. So, but this is the this is from my from my studies that I just made up. This is what I've seen. Okay. So, anyways, so uh, going on to the let's review the quickly the 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 ten principle the first nine principles, and then we'll go to the tenth one. And the tenth one, you'll see why I mean why why I say psychology comes into play over here. So the first of the tenth principle is that God exists. That is a very simple and obvious one. God is God is exists, but what does it mean that God exists? God does not only exist as a creator; He also exists as one that oversees everything. So He exists and creates, not like we would ordinarily create something. Human beings that create something take current things that are around and put it together, and they call it an innovation, a creation, something new that's coming into play. God creates something called Yeshmi'ayin. Yeshmi'ayin means he creates something out of nothing that only exists from a godly perspective, not from a human perspective. So that's, that is a foundation of faith number one. Number two is that God is only one. What does it mean that God is only one? So every pain, every pleasure, every sadness, every happiness that you have had or will have in your life all stems from one source and that source is God. That's not going to stand like that unless you want to hold it the whole time. Uh, that's going to stem from from only one source, and that is uh, that that is uh, God. If you want, I can hold it like this the whole time. So, so um, okay, excellent. Do I have to move? Okay. So, talking about losing my train of thought. No, it's not your fault. It's my fault that I can't focus. So, okay. 
So number two is that God is one. The source of everything that we have in our life all stems from God. Everyone put your wallets, your credit cards, <laughs> just put it, let's pile it up over here. Face up, please, so we could, uh, okay. So, the, okay, so now that's number two. Anybody with me here yet? Uh, did I lose, I think I lost everybody. The phone is a lot more interesting than everything that I'm saying. Oh, we're with, okay, fine, okay. So, number one, God exists. Number two, God is one. Number three, God is not physical. God is incorporeal. God doesn't have a goof, doesn't have a body. Now, we said when we mentioned this is that not only that God is not physical, God is also not spiritual. Spirituality is a creation in itself. God is above and beyond even spiritual and, and surely uh, physical. Number four is that God precedes everything. He, he was here before everything existed and he'll be here after everything existed, ex- will exist. Number five is that there's only one being that is appropriate to pray, and that is to God. We also did mention, uh, this was a very important class on prayer, uh, this, we should also bring to point that one of the things that we mentioned over here, that in order to have a the best, the highest level of prayer, is that you self-nullify yourself, meaning that you know that you're nothing, and that everything comes from God. So you're relying 100% on God, and you're nothing. That type of prayer is the highest level of prayer that you can uh, that you can pray. And that's why idolatry is all the opposite. Idolatry is not all about God. It's not all about like self-nullification, but rather it's all about me. So obviously this is the flip side. If you want to look more into this, look, uh, review that class that we spoke about on the prayer. I think it was, uh, it was on principle number five. I don't remember what class it was, maybe three or four on this series. The sixth uh, principle is Shekol Divrei Nevi'im Emet. All the, the words of the prophets, the righteous prophets, the true prophets, they are true. Why is this so important? Why did this have to come into the foundation of faith? By the way, this series is so important that People that, let's say, want to go and convert to Judaism, they need to know this stuff. The sad thing is, is that people that are Jewish from birth don't know this stuff. And, you know, the question that they ask converts, I've asked people that were, uh, you know, religious from birth, and they don't know it. Like, if can you name the Ten Commandments? Uh, don't, don't, don't uh, shake your heads either way. But, uh, you know, the foundation of faith, the Ten Commandments, the Six Constant Mitzvot, there's some things that are foundation of Judaism. Yet, for some reason, people just want to learn Kabbalah. I thought just teach me Kabbalah. Like, if you cannot memorize the Ten Commandments, that even not in order, I'll give it not in order, even, even any order that you would want, um, then, then you would... Then, you know, where, where, where are you? And I remember I, I actually once spoke to somebody who didn't keep Shabbat, and I was telling him, do you keep the Torah? He's like, the written yes, the oral no. I'm like, impossible, impossible. It doesn't work. You can't. It's, it doesn't work. But wait, I'm not like, you know what? I'm not even going to delve into this. Do you keep the Ten Commandments? Ten Commandments? For sure I keep. And then I said, do you know the Ten Commandments? And he was like, you know, he started, I'm like, you know what? Don't even name it off to me. Do you keep Shabbat? And I knew that he didn't because it was on Shabbat and his phone was vibrating. Um, so I said, do you keep Shabbat? And he's like, I don't, but... I'm like, but what? But Shabbat is not on the Ten Commandments? It's, it's actually there. It's actually in the first five section, you know? Uh, so, so people go so far ahead, but they don't even know the basics of, of the basics. Now, even though this is quite the basics of the basics, we're, we are going in a deeper uh, a breath that even people that were religious from birth don't necessarily know all these ideas. But the, the sixth principle is that the, all the, the words of the prophets are true. Why is this so important? Because the Torah is all based off communication between God and mankind. 
And that is another fancy way of saying prophecy. Pro- so the way that we have the Torah is because the prophecy had to exist. So if someone says the prophecy never existed, that means that there's no way of God communicating with man. And hence, there's no way of knowing what is right, what is wrong, what is what the Torah really meant to do. Is the Torah made up? Is it man-made? Is it something that came over time? But the first foundation is that it has to, that there is a thing of uh, prophecy. We also mentioned that who is a prophet? Um, it was somebody that is... Very, 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 very righteous. I don't know if you remember that, because not everybody could be a prophet for all those people that are reaching out to me and all the other rabbis that they're the Messiah and they're anybody else or they have prophecy and God told them something. Just an FYI. If you have those ten verys, then I will uh, listen. Okay, seventh principle of uh, seventh principle of faith is that not only the pro- whatever the prophet said is true, but also the prophet of Moshe Rabbeinu, he is the father of all the prophets. He prophesies differently and above and beyond whatever, what anybody else ever, ever prophesies in four different manners. We said number one, he was awake when he prophesied. Number two, it wasn't through a metaphor. Number three, his strength didn't fail him unlike other prophets where the strength failed him. And number four is that he received prophecy whenever, whenever he wanted. Number eight. That was number seven. Number eight. Number eight is that all the Torah that we have today is the same Torah that we got by Moshe Rabbeinu, meaning that we put on the tefillin the same way, that we shake the lulav the same way, that we uh, eat the matzah. Everything is the same exact way that, it, that we had from the beginning, and there was no change to it. The, this, this is the same Torah that was given to Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, the, the Rambam brings down, there are three individuals who, uh, who classify as people that deny the Torah. Now, what is it? The, the, it's three categories, not three individuals. Three categories of people that deny the Torah. Number one, if somebody who says that there's one word or one letter that was not from Moshe, that was not from God, Moshe Rabbeinu made it up or somebody else made it up, that person already, somebody is in the classification that he denies the Torah, that person has no share in the world to come. Number two, is if someone says that there's no such thing as an interpretation, denies the oral law. Let's simplify it. Somebody who denies the oral law also has no share in the world to come. That's under the classification of someone who denies the Torah. And thirdly, someone who denies um, the the Torah and says that it was nullified. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this thing, but half the world, uh, you know, goes with this. That the Torah was nullified. A new Torah was given afterwards. And that is a Torah that these are people that, that are, that deny the Torah. And these are people that have no share in the world to come. Okay. So that was number eight. Number nine, the last one that we're reviewing is that the Torah will never be changed. This also comes into play, um, you know, Christianity or Islam. The Torah that was will always stay exactly the same. This is if a prophet comes and says, hey, I want to change. God came over to me and told me that this is going to be changed. This, no, this law is no longer valid. It's void, null and nullified. It, there's, it's a new law that's coming. The second that some prophet comes and says that something in the Torah is, is nullified, you know that that prophet is a false, is a false prophet. We also, this was also actually a very important class. We also mentioned that, um, what's the whole idea of nullifying the Torah? Somebody who nullifies the Torah, somebody who says there's a new law, or this law is no longer, uh, is no longer valid, is showing that the Torah is not the blueprint of creation. If it, the Torah is a blueprint of creation, that means it stays for all eternity. And you cannot change it. And this is what we spoke about if, let's say, you were to be given a three-month you know, break of the Torah. Would you take it? Would you say, okay, listen, you can do whatever you want for three months and you're not going to get punished. So if you go and you say, yes, I want to do that, that's great, I could taste all life's pleasures, that means that you see the Torah as something, an obligation and not something as a privilege. But if you say, no, 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 I love the Torah, what are you talking about? This And by the way, this is a level that that's needed to be reached, it's not so simple to reach that. But when you get to the point that, no, I love the Torah, this is amazing, this is what I need, then you realize you come to the point of, of understanding that the Torah is a privilege and not an obligation. And that's really what it is, the 
Torah is beautiful. The Torah does not need to be changed. The Torah is perfect just the way that it is. Okay, so that is a quick uh, 11 minute and 38 second recap. And uh, now we will uh, we will begin with the new topic at hand, which is uh, principle number 10. So principle number 10 is, I believe with perfect faith. God knows every single person's action and every single person's thoughts. And we're going to actually really, you know, go on a lot about the about the thoughts. So this is based off a of pasuk in Tehilim, uh, chapter 33, verse 15. It says, liban. He God who forms all the hearts together, and understands all their deeds. By the way, somebody who says that God doesn't know the man, the the actions of mankind, there are certain people that go and say that God created the world. I'll give that to you, but God left it to run through the laws of nature. God is no longer, uh, you know, involved in the world. Somebody like this that that, that says that that's an apikot. This. Um, this principle that God knows your actions and knows your thought. By the way, we're going to break this down, but you know how crazy knows your thoughts. You know, that's what you're thinking. All your psycho thoughts that goes on in your mind. Yeah, it's all being marked up in there. That's like something like, you know, it will make you more uncomfortable soon. But this is something that you, it's, it's hard to like, you know, to, to, you know, to comprehend. But what does this come into play? This comes into play that say that no, the people that say that God does not oversee everything, the Torah says that not only that God oversees everything, God actually oversees your thoughts. Your thoughts are actually being marked down. Your actions certainly get marked down, but also your, your thoughts. There is a Midrash Rabbah in Bereshit in Genesis chapter 68 that there was a Roman uh, noblewoman who went to Rabbi Yossi Bar Chalakta. And she said, what does God do all day? I mean, I understand the first six days was very busy, right, in the creation of the world. He came to create the world. Seventh day he rested. What did he do on the eighth day? Like, like eighth to today. Like, what is he doing all this time? So Rabbi Yossi Bar Chalakta answered, God is mizaveg zivugim. God is making matches. So she says, really, that's what God does all day? He makes matches? So she says, I could do that myself. She had, she was a very wealthy woman. She had, she had many, many servants, maid servants and man servants. So the next day, she calls all her uh, maid servants in. She lined once, 1,000 women on one side. Tell her the level of the, of, of power and money that she had. A thousand men on the other side. And she played uh, the matching game. She says, you marry you, and you marry you, and you marry you, and you marry you, and that, they married off all a thousand in one night. She goes and says, listen, I could do this in my, in my sleep. This is what God is bothered by all day. She couldn't understand it. The next morning, there was a whole line out her door. All her servants. One had a black and blue eye. Another one had a broken leg. Another one still closing his ears going, la, 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 la. Another, everybody has another complaint. And, and, they, and she goes, what's going on? She says, listen, whatever you do, I don't care. You kill me. I can't stay married to her. And she said, listen, you're going to kill me or he's going to kill me. Because somebody's going to, I can't stay married to him. Every single person says, this is not for me. After she went through all her thousand and all they said, this is, we, we can't, uh, you know, this is not a match for us. She realized what God does. That, you know, God is making matches all day. Now, if we could say, Chidush, it's not only matching between husband and wife. Every single person that you meet is a match also. You ever think about it? Have you ever sat next to an airplane and had a conversation with somebody? Or a person had a conversation with you and you wanted to just sleep? And you couldn't sleep because the person wanted to tell you all about their grandkids, uh, which for some reason are dogs because they don't have any family. And they're going and they're showing you all the pictures and they're going on and on about this. God is making these matches as well. 
It's not the Elal lady who says, oh, yeah, you, uh, what are you, 120 pounds? We could put you next to a 500-pound man. Yeah, that's going to be good. You know, I put it, balance the plane out. That's what we're all about. It, you know, it, everything that happens is directed and orchestrated by God. You go to a class. You meet people over here. That's also orchestrated. God is making matches every single day. If you think about it, I would say over 50% of people that have the jobs that they have today is because of the people they just so randomly, and I'm using, there's no such thing as random, so I'm using air quotes, met. There's nothing that's random. God is orchestrating everything. So what is God doing all day? He's making matches. That's what he's making matches all day. Now let's say God misses. God can't. God won't. It's impossible. But let's say God misses one action. What is that? What does that come to play? If you guys are, are familiar with the uh, butterfly effect, I think we spoke about something like this. God, if let's say God would miss one action. So let's say some guy is playing baseball out in the park. And he's playing baseball and he messes up like men generally do. Uh, that's why one of the things that the Khatan teachers tell the men right when you wake up, what do you say? Sorry. I'm sorry. Exactly. <laughs> for what? Just apply it wherever you need to apply it. Just use that. Put it in your pocket for later if I don't do anything yet. It's just, I'm sorry. The um, So this guy went, he was playing baseball. He messed up. He messed up and he was a angry fellow. You know, he was a guy who had a very, very big temper. And he was so angry that he took the bat that he was that he was sitting with and he just like threw it. And the bat, you know, was in the park, you know, did like slow motion spin. Everybody saw it. There was a woman that was walking with her little child over there. And everybody was like, no! And the woman's like, what? And then she sees the bat going, and she's like, what am I supposed to do right now? And then... You know, she gets hit in the head, falls down on the floor. The little kid is screaming. Everybody is screaming. Everybody is running over. There's a pool of blood that's that's fall, that, that's pulling under her. The kid is crying, crying. The angry guy is crying. You know, the pitcher is crying for some reason. Everybody is just crying and screaming. They call nine one one. Hatzala comes because they're always faster. They come in. They put the guy. They put the woman on the stretcher. They bring her to the hospital. But unfortunately, by the time that she got to the hospital, she uh, she passed away. Now, let's say, what did God miss? The fact that the guy. M- through the bat. That's the only action that God missed. God was looking at something, oh, 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 and, that, and that happened. Now, what would happen is a butterfly. Like, let's take you on a little journey, shall we? So, this kid is going over there. He's, the kid was sitting in the mother's blood. And the kid was screaming and crying. You know, after a few years, what happens? It's a very traumatic. You know, got PTSD. The kid fell into, uh, you know, into depression, had anxiety. And unfortunately, within a short period of time, the kid took his life. He couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't live with it. Meanwhile, the angry guy, the guy that threw the bat, he was, you know, he was so, like, he got to, such a depression. He's like, I killed somebody. Like, he physically, with his, you know, bare hands, he killed somebody. So he went into depression. He ended up losing his job. His wife, left him and now his children don't have a father now he had one of his children was an angry fellow just like his dad who goes in his father's footsteps and no father no panasa the kid gets unfortunately gets end up in the streets he gets in the street because of his character trait and this he ends up in a gang and he becomes a hitman for this uh for this gang he um how do we say this he took care of of eight people before he got caught and by by the police four out of those eight people were parents now, one child out of those eight people that were murdered by this guy, he, you know, also ended up in the streets. He had no father and the mother was, you know, other situation. And he ended up in the street. He ended up, you know, getting involved in drugs and he ended up dealing in drugs. From him, he was very successful in the drug business, especially since he was a little kid. He was able to give all his friends and that. He got 1,200 people hooked onto heroin. 90 out of those 1,200 people overdosed. But by the way, that's a crazy amount. Now... Let's take this, you know, a step further. Now he becomes very successful. 
He builds up in the, in the drug business and he becomes head of a cartel. He becomes head of a cartel. By the way, I could keep on going until this starts World War III. You know, I don't know if you see the action, that I, the way that I'm going here. Which means is that what? That one action, if God misses just one action, it could, it could kill 80, what did I say, 90, 80 kids? 90 kids it could kill. It could have two other people kill themselves. It could have, it, the effects are, are you know, mind-boggling. The butterfly effect means that one effect is actually not affecting just one effect. It affects everything else. Meaning that God oversees every single thing that happens in your life that is overseen by God and that is checked off by God. There's no such thing as God sees 99.999%. No, no, no. God oversees 100% of everything. Now, what about your thoughts? If God is overseeing, we're speaking about actions. Now, what about, what about your thoughts? So, you know, children, when they, the way that a child's brain works is that, let's say they're playing hide and seek. If they're hiding and they can't see you, what do they think? You can't see them. I, just like I can't see you, you can't see them. And we say, that's so childish. You know, of course that's so silly. Of course yeah, I'll be able to see you if there's a mirror, if I could see you from above, from the side, from the corner. You know, there's so many different aspects of it. But are we any, any different? Can I read your mind, your thoughts? You say no. Can you read mine? No. Must be that nobody can read my thoughts. My thoughts is my own personal property. A person, that's the way a person thinks. A person thinks that just like I can see your thoughts, you can see my thoughts, and nobody can see my thoughts. My thoughts are my own personal realm of safety, and I can do when I can think whatever, whatever I want. But God does hear your thoughts. God does see your thoughts. Now imagine for a second if you if you live with that. How different how different will your will your will your thoughts be? You know, therapists, they, people that have obsessive compulsive thoughts or anxiety related thoughts, one of the things that they say is like, listen, don't worry about it so much. Your thoughts are not going to hurt anybody. It's just thoughts. You have to just get, you know, figure, they say whatever, you know, thoughts you are, don't, don't feel ashamed of them. Don't feel bad at them. It's just thoughts. But is that really what the Torah says? Is it thoughts? Does it, does it come into, into, into play in your, um, you know, if you're considered a good person, a bad person, does, it, does, does God judge you on your thoughts? Imagine for a moment that the government came out with a machine. They take the satellite, they put it into space, and this satellite, if it beams onto somebody, it's able to read their thoughts. Everything. Like, not like, you know, like, not only read their thoughts in like, but visualize what they're thinking about. Everything. Why did the government create this? Obviously to stop terrorist activity. Right? Not for what the liberal, whatever, okay, I'm not gonna get there. So, obviously only to stop terrorist activity. But, of course, the freedom of speech, freedom of thought, you can think whatever you want. So the government, there was a law that was passed, that, in this made up story, that there is, if there, if the government goes and wants to listen to your thoughts, they send you a letter. Say, hey listen, you're on the radar for the Thought Machine 2000, and, uh, you are going to, uh, we're gonna be listening to all your thoughts. What's your first thing you're gonna write back? This is unfair. It's a violation of my privacy. I, you know, why am I supposed to do that? And you know, what are they looking for? They're looking for terroristic thoughts. Now, what happens if I tell you that the government is listening to your thoughts? Assuming you're not one of those people that wear, you know, silver foil on your head. Now, which already thinks that anyways. But assume, I say, listen, hey, government is listening to your thoughts, and um, they're looking specifically for terrorist activities. What are you thinking about? Terrorist, terrorist activity. You don't, you're like a Jewish girl that went to like base Yaakov. Meanwhile, in your brain, you're blowing up the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> like, I've never even went to the Statue of Liberty. And you're blowing it up. And you're like, you have only terroristic thoughts. And you're like, no matter whatever it is that you do, you're going and you're, and, and you have the terrorist, you have these terrorist uh, thoughts. This is the, you know, this is the concept. When someone says, don't think about something, 
that's the only thing that you're thinking about, right? Don't think about an Arab person throwing a ball of fire. What are you thinking about? An Arab person throwing a ball of fire. So, I don't know why that example came to my mind. Um, but in any case, the first two weeks, you're going to be upset. You're going to be like, are you, are you kidding me? The government is listening to my thoughts. I can't control my thoughts. But guess what? If there's repercussions for your thoughts, and the government is listening to your thoughts, all of a sudden, after two weeks, you're going to realize you're going to figure out a way to control your thoughts. You're going to. If it's going to come with a penalty or sitting in prison, you're going to figure out some way to like not think bad thoughts, not think terrorist, terrorist activity. So what does the Torah say on this? There is a pasuk in Bamidbar, in Numbers, chapter 15, verse 39. It says, You should not go and you should, uh, and you should not wander after your hearts and after your eyes, that you stray after them. You're not allowed to go and follow your eyes and, and your heart when they stray after it. Says the Sefer Achenuch, by the way, this is one of the, the 613 mitzvot. This is mitzvah number 387. This is also, by the way, one of the six constant mitzvot as well. There's a Gemara in Bachot, page 12b, that explains this verse, this pasuk. Now what does it say? It says like this. It says, you're not allowed to go achel levachem, after your hearts. What does that mean, achel levachem? It says the Gemara, zuminut. This is heresy. Heretic, heretic thoughts. The Sefer Chinuch goes and explains that a thought that causes a person to uproot something from the Torah, that's considered like something that's, that's, uh, that's heresy. Then, achel After the eyes, this is immoral thoughts. Immoral thoughts is you're not allowed to have. And then, asher atem zonim, zonim, this is referring to, hirhu avudazara. This is talking about the straying is referring to idolatry. So the Gemara says over here, there are three types of thoughts that a person's not allowed to have. Number one is heretic thoughts. Thoughts that are going against the Torah. Number two is immoral thoughts. Thoughts of, of immorality. And number three is idolatry. Those are the three, the Three thoughts that a person's not allowed to have. There's also, yeah, yeah. There's also uh, there's additional one. There's number four, which is the tenth of the ten commandments. Is lo sachmod. Anybody know? No, I'm not gonna ask. Lo sachmod is you're not you're not allowed to covet. You're not allowed to go and and want your, you know like a, your neighbor's property, your neighbor's wife. You're not allowed to what? Jealousy. Jealousy. Yeah, but it's it's coveting. It's a little bit of a different uh, uh, angle of jealousy. <clears throat> Yeah, but it's, a, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, the, the, so we come up with four basic un- understanding of, of forbidden thought. Immoral thoughts, heretic thoughts, uh, idolatry thoughts, and, and coveting thoughts. So now, there's a Gemara in Kiddushin. Very interesting Gemara in Kiddushin, page 48. You know, can a person control their thoughts? Thoughts just pop into your head. Thoughts about, you know, what is the, so the, the Gemara says like this. First of all, the Gemara doesn't speak about this, but there's two, there's two things we have to undefine. There is machshavot and there is hirurim. Machshavot is fleeting thoughts. Hirurim is when you're pondering about something, when you're thinking about something, when you're contemplating. Maybe a better, uh, you know, thing to, uh, you know, to, to explanation, terminology. So now, the Gemara in Kedushim, page 40a, says like this, Machshava tova, if you have a good thought, God counts it as if you did. Meaning, that if you had a good thought to do something good, but you didn't do it, it counts as if you did it because you had the thought to do it. God combines it, you get reward for having good thoughts. But, says the, says the Gemara, says that Machshava ra, but a bad thought, God doesn't combine to, to action. God doesn't combine it. Meaning, you don't get punished for a bad thought. Says the Gemara, explains, but what does that mean? If you have an evil thought that does not lead into action, you don't get punished for it. But if you have an evil thought that leads to action, you get punished for the action and you get punished for the thought as well. So for example, somebody goes and decides that they're going to break Shabbat. This coming Shabbat, they're going to break Shabbat, they're going to go on a vacation, they're going to whatever, they're going to, they have a series of things they're going to do, they're going to break Shabbat. 
And they have it all planned out. But for whatever reason, beyond their control, they couldn't go out and they kept Shabbat 100%. For that, they don't get punished for their thoughts. Their thoughts and their plans, about they're not getting punished for it. This is what the Gemara says. However, except... For the three, for the things that we mentioned before, this is not referring to the things that we're talking about. Her, her, you know, thoughts against minut, against uh, heresy, thoughts that are immorality, and thoughts that are on avodazara and coveting. These do not fall into this into this category. But everything else, if you had a bad thought but it didn't fall into action, you don't get punished for it. Clear? What about worrying? Oh, we're gonna get into we're gonna get into uh, that. Worrying is a lack of emunah and bidachon, but it's a, it's a long thing in itself. Yeah. What if someone has a thought and let's say it's heretic type of thought, but they go and they find out, they ask, so then they clarify. Oh, okay, we're going to speak about that. Yeah, yeah, we're going to speak about that. So that, that we're saying is very good, but let's let's go through it and it, that should answer you. Mm-hmm. Rabelsky goes and and says something like this. says, if someone makes a vow, if someone vows something, when does that vow need to be upheld? Only if it's verbalized. But let's say if somebody vowed something in their mind, does that vow hold, hold ground? Says Rabelsky, only in, in one in one aspect, only in the aspect of tzedakah. Yeah, oh, excellent. Only the aspect of tzedakah. If you have a if you make a vow in your mind that you're going to give a certain amount of charity, you have to keep to that. That is that is standard quote. But now, what does that mean? So let's say somebody goes and they knock on your door, and they say, "Hey, listen." They start telling you their life story, and you know, you know, both their parents were abducted by astronauts um, who took them to the Mars, and uh, you know, they have. 400 children that they feed. Uh, the saddest story that you could think of. Everything of the saddest story. And they come and they give you a whole... And while they're saying the story, you're like crying. You have a tissue box. They're crying. Everybody's crying. And you're in your mind, you're like, I'm just emptying my bank account to this guy. You know, like, this person needs so much money. And as they finish the story, and as in slow motion, you're going into your pocket or pocketbook, whatever it is that you are going into, uh, you're going to take out your wallet from, let's say you were originally going to give them $1,000, you know, as your hand reaches down, it goes up to 500. As you get into your pocket, it gets to 250. By the time you take out your wallet, you get them a $5 bill. <laughs> now, do you, are you held responsible? While that person was speaking, you were like, I want to give this person $1,000. Says Rabelsky, when you have fleeting thoughts, thoughts that are just popping into your head and they're popping in, you say, you know what, I have to give this amount to charity. But if it's a fleeting thought, then you don't, you're not, you're not held reliable. You're not held responsible. You have to, uh, you know, uphold that. But if you, you make a conscious decision, you think about it. You say, you know what? No, I am. You're thinking about all the bad. And I say, you know what? I am giving this guy 50 bucks. And you're thinking about it and you come to that. You should give those $50 because that you obligated yourself in, in, you know, in that type of uh, thought. So what we did was over here, we separated those two types of thoughts. There are thoughts that are, you know, sort of like, come into your head involuntary and they just leave the second that they come in and there are thoughts that, you, that you're focusing on, that you're pondering about. Now, before we expand on this a little more, there is um, there's an Ezra Mikodesh that goes and explains like this. So you're not allowed to think about immoral thoughts, sexual thoughts, you're not allowed to think about that. But what about intellectually thinking about that? What about intellectually thinking about these type of thoughts? Says, says the Ezra Mikodesh, those you are allowed to do. Because otherwise, you wouldn't be allowed to learn any of the halakhot that are related to that, you know, to that concept. So intellectually speaking, you are allowed to, but fantasizing and lusting after that thought process that you're not allowed to. So we have here some, some, you know, clarifications that we made over here. There's a difference between intellectually thinking about something, and by the way, this is referring to, the Ezra Mikodesh specifically brings it down onto, on the sexual matters, not on the, on the other four, three that we mentioned. So this is on the sexual matters. But there's also a thought that's, that's a fleeting thought, and there's a thought that you're, that you're concentrating on, that you're focusing on about. So, 
the Maimonides, uh, the Rambam, goes in the Moran Ebuchim, and the Guide to the Perplex, goes and says like this, that when a person sins, when the physical action, that's because his animalistic side of him is going and sinning. But what is the greatest asset of a human being? It's their mind. The mind is the greatest asset. And in fact, it's, it's B'Tselem Elohim. It's, it's in the form of God, a person's mind. Thought process is very spiritual. If you're going and you're sinning with the thought process, this is one of the worst things that you could do. And the Rambam says one of the most important things that you do is, is you purify your thought process and you're connecting your character traits and you're fixing and you're, and you're connecting to God in that matter. And in fact, the Chaim of Melazhin goes in Nefesh Chaim and says that, this is something crazy, he says, thinking a sinful, immoral thought is a greater desecration than when, when evil Titus went and laid with a woman of ill repute in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Whoever knows the story on, on, uh, on the destruction of the second Bet HaMikdash. Now why is it? Why is it having an, a bad thought worse than, than, than Titus going, and, going and, and being with a woman in the Kodesh HaKadoshim? So the Nefesh Chaim goes and says like this, the, a person is like a Mishkan, and God dwells in the Mishkan. If a person is a Mishkan, then the mind is the holy of the holy. It's the Kodesh HaKadoshim. It's the, it's the holiest part over here. Now, what's the difference between the body, the mind, and the Mishkan? The Mishkan is something physical. The body is also physical, but the mind is something that's spiritual. It's your Nishama, it's something that goes up. So when you're desecrating your mind, you're desecrating something spiritual. That is something that is worse than desecrating something, something, uh, uh, something physical. And this brings us to another crazy, crazy point. The Maharsha goes and says like this. It's like Marayim Bar in Makot, page 10b. It says, In the way that a man wants to go, God, the heaven will go and guide you to that, to that path. Who leads him? Who's the one, who's the one that leads him? Says the Maharsha something crazy. You know who leads him? The angels lead him. Which angels? Your angels that you made. Every thought that you have is produces an angel. It's either a good angel or a bad angel. So when you're having a thought, and it's a good thought, so you're producing a good angel. When you're having a bad thought, it's producing a bad angel. The way, the the thoughts that you have, the, the, the path that you want to go, the way that you want to go, that's who's going to lead you. Who's going to lead you? Your own creations are going to lead you. The angels that you made from your own thoughts, they're the ones that they're going to, uh, they're going to lead you. And this is based off of Pasuk and Tehidim, chapter 91, verse 11. It says, Ki Hashem will go and command His angels on your behalf, to go and guard you in all your paths. Which angels? Your angels, the angels that you, that you made. This is something crazy. The power of your thought has the power to, to, to guide you to the way that you want to go in your life. Now what about, let's, let's take a pause on, on this for a second. Let's, let's go focus a little bit on the, on the scientific uh, you know, aspect of it. What is the scientific understanding of thoughts? So, Scientific American went and says that uh, um, they published an interesting article. Part of the article states that the amount of thoughts that we have, we're only aware of a tiny fraction of the thought that we have. Because most of our thoughts are what? Are subconscious, not consciously. Now, thoughts that we have subconsciously, these are not thoughts that we could actually, you know, concentrate on change on unless you're really on like a high level of meditation. That we're not talking about in the spiritual realm because that you have no control over. But the thoughts that you have control about, which means this, it's only a tiny part of your thoughts that you're, that you're irresponsible, that you're responsible for. Have you ever, you know, met somebody uh, or even better yet, you're driving and it's quiet. I know women cannot take this, but let's say you're driving and there's people in the car and it's quiet. So a woman breaks the song and says, so what are you thinking about? Men usually say one word. And that is, you know, like, what's on your mind? What are you thinking about right now? Nothing. 
Like, it's not, you're not thinking about nothing. You think about like 7,000 things at one time. A woman, 7 billion things, right? Uh, you know, but a man, you know, like you said, you're not thinking about nothing. What, rather, what you're saying is nothing important. You know, I, I was just spacing out if I would be Superman, what I would do. I don't know, like, you know, like, and a woman would be like, if I could clean my house so fast. You know, like, whatever, different, obviously, different priorities. But the, everybody has so many thoughts that are running through their mind. So why do we say nothing? We say nothing, nothing that, that is important. Let me take you a different path. Have you ever read a page? And let's call it davening. Maybe we won't call it davening. Whatever. You're reading a page and you realize, huh, I have no idea what I just read. So you read davening again. You're not supposed to be doing this. Let's keep it with a book. Let's keep it kosher. And even though it's the opposite. But wait, let's get, you're reading a book. You're studying for a test, even better yet. You read a page and you get to the end of the page and you'd be like, I have no clue what I just read. And you read the page again. And when you finish the page, you're like, I have, I, I, did I read this? Where was I? Your mind is somewhere else. Your eyes is over here. Your mouth may be even mouthing those words, but your mind is somewhere else. You don't even know what your mind is going. Your mind is going on in a different path and you can't even concentrate. You can't even focus. Have you ever been so exhausted? You're, you're beyond tired. You've been falling asleep since 3 p.m. And you're falling asleep. You're falling asleep. Finally, you're like, okay, it's 8 o'clock. I'm going to hit an early night. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to get a solid 7, 8 hours. It's going to be great. And you go and you lay down in your bed. And the second you think you're going to fall asleep, your mind is all of a sudden is like, hello. Let's think about 14,000 things right now, shall we? And then they do the horror together. And your mind, are you kidding me right now? I've been falling asleep the whole day. And now I can't fall asleep because now you have to think about your death day. And then you're thinking about the taxes that's going to be next year. And maybe your job and a possible shidduch that you're not even up to yet. You know, like you're thinking about 17,000 things at one, at, at one period of time. Now, Science goes even further and says something like this. You're, the, way, the impact of your thoughts is so, is, so, uh, is, is so fundamental that it depends. If you're depressed, if you're angry, if you're frustrated, if you're lonely, if you're disappointed, fearful, worried, sad, any other you know, you know, you know, character trait, any other, any other you know, emotion that you have, where does it all stem from? It all stems from your mind. Everything stems from your mind. And the other, you have also a positive side as well. Have you ever walked in the street? And Makazdam over here. Okay, <laughs> so uh, have you ever walked in the... What? I imagined it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was. Have you ever walked in the street and you think about a funny joke that you heard in the shear, obviously? Um, and, and, you, and then suddenly, right, exa- but it, let's say you, you're like, you're sitting in the street or on a train, even worse, where you're in close proximity to a lot of people and everybody's either looking at you or at you and they're looking at you and suddenly you're sitting over there and you're thinking about you know the funny sheer that you heard last night and then you start, you start and then everybody's like looking at you and then they look at your ears to see maybe you have bluetooth and then they realize no you're just crazy and you know like you're thinking like uh you know like what do you do you have to start exp- it was a funny joke listen to this joke and you say whatever you know like you have to start explaining you're like you realize your thought has a the ability that you're sitting on a crowded, smelly train and you're able to go and bring yourself to laughter. You're able to, to bring yourself to laughter. That's the power of a thought. A thought has the ability to either make you depressed, make you sad, make you cry, or make you happy, or make you live life in a different way. If you ever think about, you ever hear about somebody tell you, hey, go to your happy place, 
you know, and if somebody starts taking out a needle and, you know, so then you're like, don't go that happy, you know, let's take it a step back. You, you go to your happy place. What does that mean when you're going and when you're in a, in a, in a psychological and emotional different place? It changes in your physical, in your physical being. Now, this is the power of a thought. The thought can change who you are. Now, I'm going to ask you another, you know, a question. Doesn't it pay to figure out how to control our thoughts? Doesn't it pay to figure out, let's, if you control your thoughts, it's a key to life. If you control your thoughts, you control your life. If you control your thoughts, you control your emotions. So why hasn't anybody been doing this? Why hasn't, besides a few professors and the people that listen to those professors, nobody else and people that keep the Torah, obviously, nobody else is, is, is focusing on this. Everything is based off your thought process. This is, by the way, why psychology comes in so important. Why therapy comes in so important. Because you say therapy, okay, so you pay somebody to go and listen to your problems. I don't know. You're paying somebody to hear your solution to your problems. Now, it's, it's the other way around, but they have to hear your problems to say it. But the, the, the concept is, is that they're teaching you how to think differently. They're teaching you the foundations of life. They're teaching the keys to life. So now, let's try to figure out how to control our thoughts. So let's see what the Torah says, and then we'll see what the sign says. The Torah goes like this. There's a Shemi Shmuel in Shavuot, being that it's coming up to Shavuot. Quotes a Midrash in Shemot Rabbah. It says, when God gave the, the tablets, when God, when God gave the Torah, the, there was, it was six tfachim long. So a tfach is this big. So it was six, six, six of these long. So to speak, God was holding two tfachim. Moshe Rabbeinu was holding two tfachim, and two tfachim was in the middle. Now what does this mean? It says the, says the Shemesh Mo'el goes and explains like this. We can subdivide all the mitzvot to three categories. Either actions, thoughts, or speech. Any mitzvah that you do, any po- any any good deed that you do, or any negative deed that you do, either falls to one or a combination of these th- of these of these actions. There's nothing that falls out of this category. Either you have action, speech, or or thought. Right? Those are the three things that that fall into play. Now, the Torah has has a list of things. For example, thought. You have to believe in God. You have to go and say that there's no other there's no other force of, other than than God. Also, you're not allowed to. We mentioned a few thoughts, right? You're not allowed to covet other people. You're not allowed to covet anybody's uh, other's property. That is on thought. Speech. You're not allowed to speak. Lashonara, right? The other people think it's a mitzvah. You're not allowed to speak lashonara. You know, you have to verbally remember Shabbat. Yeah, we remember that Yitzhak mitzvah. We have many things that we do verbally based off our our speech, and many things that we're not allowed to do based off our speech. We have also actions. Oh, give me a second. Give me a minute. Give me five minutes. Give me a little bit more. Okay, I'll figure out. I'll tell you one. Okay, conversation in my mind. Okay. There are things under the actions. We go in a sukkah, we eat matzah, we shake a lulav, we go and uh, we put on tefillin. There's things that we do based on action. We dress modestly. There's things that are based on our action. So we, there's, there, we break it down to three things. Action, thought, and speech. Now, thought is not entirely in a person's uh, control. A per- you can think about something. You can, th- you can think about whatever you want, but you cannot prevent from something else from another thought to come into your mind. Meaning, if I just say something, a yellow taxi cab from Manhattan on pink wings flying over here, you're going to probably think about something along those lines. Meaning, I could project things into your thought that you think it. You cannot prevent that from happening. You could go and conjure up your own thoughts, but you can't prevent other random thoughts from entering it. That's the thoughts. Thoughts, not really in your control. Partially in your control, because you could sort of think what you want, but you can't prevent things from falling into it. Now, action, on the other hand, is completely in your control. I cannot force you to do something. You could, you're doing something based on your own free will. You're able to do whatever you want. You want to murder somebody? You want to give charity. I hope those are not your choices for the day, but you have the choice to be, do whatever it is that you want. Speech, on the other hand, has this in-between. It's, it plays this in-between status between thought and between action. 
In Pasuk Mishlei, chapter 16, verse 1, it says, La'adam ma'achelet. For the preparations of, a heart, of, of the man's heart, that's in a man. But ma'ashem ma'ane lashon. But the answers of the tongue goes from what? Goes from God. Meaning that someone can prepare something, and they're like, you know what, I'm going to say this, I'm going to, you know, you go over to your parents, your siblings, your spouse, whatever it is, and you'll be like, I have a whole speech prepared, and you're going to nail it, and you're going to, and you go up to the, and then you go over there, and then blah, blah, blah. You know, you just fall flat on your face, and everything, because... You can prepare whatever you want to speak, but sometimes God decides what your tongue is going to say. Obviously, you're held responsible for it. Don't say, hey, listen, I was going to say something very differently. You have to deal with God. The fact that I just cursed you out, the fact that I just, you know, that's between you and God, nothing to do with me. I'm just a messenger. Don't say that. You're responsible for your own actions. But speech has this in-between where you sort of have control like your actions, but at the same point in time, you don't have quite control just like your just like your thoughts. So, the, the, the Tupsu came later, in Mishlei chapter 16, verse 3, it says, you want to know how to control your speech? How to control your thoughts? Gal el Hashem ma'asecha, if you commit your actions, your ma'asim, to God, va'yikunu ma'achshavotecha, and your thoughts will be established, says the same Hashem Ishmael like this, everything in life is dependent on action. If you go and you focus on your action, God will grant you power over your speech, and even over your thoughts as well. Because everything is under, uh, is, is under action. When God goes and God go, tells the Jewish people, hey, I have a Torah, you want to take it? What did they say? Okay. Not very good. Now, Sevishma, I spoke about this to one crowd and they had no idea what I said. I said, whoa, okay, we have to circle around this. Now, God, God goes to the Jewish people and says, hey, you want to take the Torah? You want to listen to the Torah? What did they say? Na'asevenishma. What does Nasa mean? We will do and then we will listen. Why? Because everything they realize, everything is all depending on action. It's not nishma, we'll hear, then we'll think, and then we'll do. No, no, no. First we'll do, and once we do, we will be able to hear, we'll be able to do everything else. Everything in life is based off action. This is why you have the, the, the story, the, the mitzvot that are related to Yitzhak Mitzayim, the Exodus of Mitzayim. You have, you have to eat matzah, you eat ma'od, you're drinking the wine, you have to, you relate the story. There's so many things that we're doing. We're cleaning the house for chametz. There's so many actions that we're doing. Why do we have to do so many actions? Let us just verbalize it. Let's just think about it. Thank you, God. Because everything in life depends on action. Everything is affected by, is affected by action to the, to the extent that if let's say a person is evil inside, like one of those evil evil people, you know the people that give you tickets. I mean, it's just whatever. It's just like God forbid. No, I'm not, nothing wrong against uh, you know police. Just the police that stopped me. But no, no, I'm the, you know those evil people. You know, like somebody who's like, oh, you know, like you know, like did you sell your soul to the devil? Like what happened to you? You know, as a child. Um, so. Those people, the worst, the worst of the worst, lowest of low, if they commit their actions and they follow the Torah the way that it's supposed to, not for the right sake, but they're doing the actions, says Hashem Ishmael, that eventually is going to turn their thoughts pure. It's going to eventually turn them pure. And the flip side as well, you have a righteous person, someone who's very righteous, but they start doing evil deeds. They start doing one evil thing after another. Eventually, that's going to corrupt their thoughts. It's going to corrupt their speech. Everything is going to be corrupted. Why? Because everything is depending on action. This is why the Rambam says that if you have an option to give a lot of money to one charity or small amounts of money to many charities, the Rambam says you give small amounts to, to, to many charities. Why? Because every action changes the way that you are, changes the way that you think, changes the way that you behave, changes the way that you feel. Rabbeinu Bachai also goes and says that when you do a mitzvah, you have the mitzvah that, that you did. You know, everything, whatever it is, the mitzvah, the spiritual benefit. But there's another benefit that happens to it. There is an inner cosmic benefit that happens to it. It changes who you are. You're dressing modestly, you're going and you're making a bacha. Yeah, you got the reward, you did something right, but that changed you as a person. 
This is why people that go and they follow the Torah, follow them, they become better people. Yeah, I've had many people that went and they spoke to me, and I spouses, I spoke to spouses that became religious because their spouse became religious, not because they were following, and they realized intellectually that there was a God. No, because they saw that their spouse was becoming better. You're learning anything. You're coming closer to God. You're, that's going to change you. Whether you like it or not, it's going to change you. Your actions have a very, very strong effect on you. Now, if I would go and say, behind this wall, there's a depressed person sitting down. Now, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Is this person, is he sitting straight up or is he sitting slouched? Slouched. Okay, very good. Now, is this person, is he taking deep breaths or shallow breaths? Okay, is this person speaking fast or slow? Is this person a... You know, when they're talking, are they talking loud or quiet? How do you guys know all this, by the way? You guys uh, met up beforehand? How do you know about all this? <laughs> you saw him walking in. <laughs> so, our, our physical actions depend on our emotions, and our emotions depend on our, our, physical, uh, you know, our physical actions. They correlate. If I were to tell you somebody, based on their emotion, you're able to figure out how they're acting, how they're behaving, how they're breathing, how they're talking. Isn't that crazy that how much is dependent on your action, even something that you, that has nothing to, uh, you would think has nothing to do with your action? There was recent research that was done. This was done by many universities. Harvard University, University of Oregon, University of Texas. They all, fascinating, fascinating uh, you know, research. They revealed that powerful and effective leaders have similar mindset and similar hormone levels. To, the, to what extent? That powerful leaders tend to have higher levels of testosterone. Testosterone, that means you have more dominance, you have more confidence, and lower level of cortisol. Cortisol is the stress hormone. So if you have lower levels, you're less prone to anxiety, you're less prone to stress, you're able to handle stressful situations very calmly. Those are the character traits. They found out that the powerful leaders, the successful leaders, the people that were successful and running big corporations, running big organizations, they have high testosterone, men and women, high testosterone and low, and low cortisol, cortisol levels. That these type of people are more assertive, they're more confident, more relaxed, and more optimistic. They made a, this is a study that they made that even they were more optimistic in a game of chance, meaning that it all depends on chance. It doesn't depend on your anything. But if you had a higher level of testosterone and lower level of cortisol, you believe that you will be more successful on a complete game of randomness compared to somebody else who had lower levels than you or higher levels, depending on the cortisol, testosterone. Is isn't that you know isn't that crazy? And and they did this study, and one of the physical cues, and they put it this way, that the testosterone and the cortisol levels, they change rapidly, and I'm quoting over here, depending on the social, physical, and environmental cues that surround you. And one of the physical cues that it depends on is your body language. Your body language depends depends a lot. Now, there was a study done by, by Harvard University, Amy Cuddy, if I'm pronouncing her name right. There are high power body language and low power body language. I have here some pictures, maybe I'll show you afterwards. I'm going to ask you, what would you think, high power or low, or low power? Low. What about this? Low. High. <laughs> this? Low. How do you guys all this? Did you guys read the study also? All of it, because you realize it's common sense, right? With the common sense. And there's something interesting that they did in this, in this theory. People that have a, a higher body power body language it changes their hormone levels. 
So if you had your body language changes in a certain way, it changes your hormone levels, which means is it changes the way that you act. It changes the way that you think and it changes the way that you feel based on your, now I'm not, this is, I'm talking about specifically, I'm not saying what, what's correcting to do. I'm not saying that you should go into meetings and go like this, you know, you know, you know, like five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, you know, like I'm just, you know, like there's a halachic aspect of sneeze and it says, well, but. What, the, what did science come out? Science came out with, with, with one study after another study that your physical actions depend and they change your thought process. They change your emotion process. This is something that Torah has been saying for thousands of years. All of a sudden, recently, Harvard came into the play. They, they, finally, they finally joined us. But before, this is the Torah was, was, was telling us this thousands of years ago. It all depends on action. It all depends on action. You do good, you'll become good. You do bad, you'll become bad. You'll think bad. Our emotions are influenced based on our nonverbal expressions, even more so our mitzvot that we do. Now, let's say somebody's depressed and they change their posture. They go from here and they lift up. And instead of, you know, they take a deep breath and they speak a little faster. And let's say they smile. Try being depressed and smiling, even a fake smile. Like, oh, I'm so depressed. You know, like after a certain moment, you're either going to think silly or you're going to just, you know, it changes who you are. And in fact, if you're, you could try this. In the train, if you like to think people are, you know, you're crazy, but at home, you can do this just as well. Smile for two minutes straight. Just like, just like do like the weirdest smile that you have. You know, like, you know, just like smile full, full on smile. I, of course I've tried it. (laughs) You know, I've done it plenty of times and I tell you it works. Well, on the train, not, not usually, usually, you know, in, in, uh, in private, but I wouldn't say that I would. Here to do it on a train, uh, you know. Um, it, that in my mind right now, there is a lot of things that could go wrong right now. Nine one one could be called, um, but uh, but when you smile, it changes who you are. You cannot smile and be upset. You could try it, but you're gonna have to work really hard. You know, you have to work really hard. So this Harvard University professor, Dr. Amy Cuddy, goes and says, "Fake it until you make it." But then she says, "You know what? That's not a good. That's not a good thing." She says, "Better yet, you fake it until you become it." Now, I wonder if the Torah said something like, I don't know, maybe balishma, or something along those lines. The Torah has been saying this the whole time, that you do it even though you don't do it for the right reason, because guess what? Eventually, it's going to be for the right reason. Because eventually, you're, it's going to change. Your actions change your, your thought process. So, you know, we're under the impression that our minds change our body. But if you're smart, your body can change your mind as well. You have the ability to change your thought process. So number one, if you want to change your thought process, change your actions. Stop doing things that make you feel depressed. Stop doing things that make you feel whatever it is. You do good, and what's the number one thing to stop from all these depression, all these things? Do mitzvot. The more mitzvot that you're going to do, it's going to change you. It's going to change you spiritually, physically, emotionally, and intellectually. Everything is going to change because everything, bless you, is depending on action. When you change that, it's going to change who you are. The better that you do a mitzvah, the more that you do the mitzvot, the better off that you're going to be intellectually, emotionally, physically, and whatever else we missed up. Intellectually, whatever, whatever I missed up. Spiritually, thank you. That's number one. Number two, and the final point, we'll finish off in soon, and then we'll get to your question. So, did I answer it already? Okay, usually that's what happens. If I would tell you, don't think about a pink line. Like we said before, you're going to be thinking about a pink line. And now, if you have ADD, I lost you for the rest of the class because you're going to be like, wait, where's the pink line? What's the beard doing? You know, like, what's this tail doing? Is everything pink? Is it a darker pink? Is it red? pink? Red, red, yeah. What, are you, what do you think I said? Elephant? I heard a lion. Oh, lion. Okay. 
you think about a pink elephant. Let's use a common uh, thing you know that people use. A pink elephant. So you cannot, you know, how do you stop a thought from entering your mind? You cannot stop. Like now you're thinking about a pink elephant, a pink lion, or a pink lion, whatever you thought I thought you, I, I said. So the one way that you're able to go. You cannot say, no, I'm not thinking about this anymore. But your mind can focus on one thing at a time. Even though it's doing many things in the background, but it can focus on one thing at a time. So if you have a bad thought that enters your mind, put another thought, replace it. When you replace that bad thought, you can no longer think. So let's say you're depressed. Let's say you're upset. Let's say you're angry. Let's say you're angry for whatever reason. If you put in your mind a thought of gratitude, great, you can't be grateful and angry at the same time. Right? I mean, you'll be bipolar. You know, like, you know, like, if you change your mindset, if you put in, you replace the bad thought with a positive thought, you won't be able to go and hold the bad thought. Now, obviously, you have to, you know, practice control over your mind. But, this comes over time, you'll be able to go, and the more that you practice it, you have a bad, evil, whatever sinful thought that comes into your mind, even, even emotionally, a bad thought that comes into your mind, replace it with something positive. The more that you're focusing on that, the more that you're going to get out of it, the more that you're going to be able to control your thoughts. Now, the Tanat Ve'aliyahu goes and quotes from Shem Bar Yochai and says like this, I want to quote a few, whoever puts the words of Torah on their heart, which means on their mind. Whoever puts the to- words of Torah in their mind are saved from thoughts of sin, from thoughts of fear, from thoughts of evil inclination, from idolatry, from being controlled by others and obsessive thoughts. Rabbi Shem Baruchai is saying something very, fun- very fundamental to science. Rabbi Shem Baruchai is saying the antidote to sinful thoughts, to bad thoughts, to harmful thoughts is the Torah. When you have the Torah, when you're thinking about thoughts of the Torah, that's going to karate chop the bad thoughts out of your brain. The Gemara Kedushin also brings this down, page 30. It says, Rabbi Shmuel says, if the evil inclination takes control over a person, the remedy is to pull him into the Bet Midrash, pull him to the house of study. The Kutzka Rebbe goes and says like this, he says that you're pulling him to the house of study, that's very nice, but don't think that that's going to solve all your problems. The evil inclination is going to be waiting for you in the classes as well. The evil inclination is going to say, hey listen, you got you just got like 10 vibrations, you probably have to check that because you're the president of the world and people rely on you and you have to check every side, so- you have those people, you text them and the second they text you back, one of the things that I want to say is like, please get a life. You know, like, don't text me back so fast. What are you doing on your phone so much? You know, you have people that are obsessed with it, but when you're going and when you're realizing that, that let's say you go to the Bethany Dash, this is a cut to wrap up, the evil inclination is coming in right there with you. The evil inclination is you're going to be in the class, but you have to save the world with your phone and, and Instagram and whatever things that is the important things that you need to do. You have to focus on it. So what's the whole, what's the whole benefit, says the Kutzka Rabbah, about bringing the, go, if you have the evil thoughts, you go and you learn Torah. So the, the, the benefit that you have is that you have home court advantage. All of a sudden now you're in control. It's your, it's your turf. Okay, you want to go? Okay, fine. You're, you're still going to have the evil inclination, but it's a way, a path of going and fighting and, and, uh, and, and, and trying to beat the, the, the evil inclination. So again, so let's do a quick recap and then we'll open up for questions. So we started off with saying something like this. We started off with the 10th principle of faith. The 10th principle of faith is that God knows not only your actions, but also your thoughts. Which is a scary thought. Which is a scary, you know, thing that, <laughs> scary thought. God is a scary thought. God realizes everything. But what is it referring to? It's not referring to your fleeting thoughts. Your fleeting thoughts that you're not held responsible for. It's the thoughts that you go and you emphasize and you, it's the things that you go and you contemplate on, that you're going and you're, and you're Focusing more on those thoughts. When you're th- focusing on th- those thoughts, are you're, you're held you're held responsible. 
Now, why is this so important? Why is the fact that God control, knows everything that you do, everything that you think about, this is going to correlate to our next one that we're going to speak about next week, which is reward and punishment. This is going to correlate because why? Not, now we can see that God is so in control of everything, has knows that everything that's going on, that the reward and punishment is going to fit measure for measure for everything that we do. It's going to be a crazy class next week. I recommend everybody to show up, especially me. Uh, you know, it's going to be something that's very, very important to understand the aspect of, of measure for measure. Now, being that we spoke about thoughts, I utilize, by the way, you should know, the fact that, you know, when, when I was preparing this, this, this series, so I finished this series a while, a few months ago, I already prepared all the classes for it. When I was reviewing it this week to what I was going to speak about, I, this class was supposed to be 10 and 11, the principles were supposed to be together. I, this class was only supposed to be one page, and the, the rest was supposed to be on reward and punishment. But for, for whatever reason, that somebody had to hear this, somebody, I don't know if here or online or both, there, there, there's like, you know what, maybe I should put this in, maybe I should put this in. And I started, and, and this whole class built off something that wasn't even supposed to exist over here. So we say that God controls your actions and your thoughts. Also, the, the, you know, the speakers that they speak of the Torah, you know, they're going, they're preparing something. I wasn't prepared, you know, to, to speak about this. But things went and they, you know, I was reading this and I was learning this and I said, you know what, maybe I could put this over here, maybe this is important. And you know, and I, and I came to the conclusion that this is very important. Now, in my mind, looking back, I'm like, how could I miss this? Imagine I would have missed this. This is so fundamental. Controlling your thoughts? Fundamental to Judaism. How is it possible that I would have missed this? But it is. I would have missed it if, you know, thank God that God put this into my mind because I think this, this type of understanding, this type of, of, of thought process is so important. So many of us nowadays in age are either depressed, sad, anxious. We have so many, you know, issues that we're dealing with. How do we control that? We go through so many things. So Baruch Hashem, we found two, we, we gave two reasons to control it. Number one, Focus on your actions. Do happy things. Do good things. Do mitzvot. That is going to change you. And number two, when you have a bad thought, don't dwell on it. Don't do that downward spiral thing. Don't, you know, wallow in your own misery. Get out of that, that, it's, it's hard. It's not easy. Get out of that, out of that sick emotional zone. That sick intellectual zone. And replace it with something positive. Replace it. And you want to know what to replace it? The best thing that I, that I was thinking about to replace it is gratitude. Hakatatov. You're going and you're, you're, let's say you had a hard life, you had a hard upbringing, and you're upset about jobs, family, whatever it is, find some things that you're grateful for. When you find some things when you're grateful for, it's gonna be hard to be sad. It's gonna be hard to be depressed, the fact that you're alive, you're well, you're seeing, you're breathing, you're talking, you're able to eat, you're, there's so many things to be grateful for. If you're, the more grateful that you are, the less that you're going to be able to wallow in your own misery. Any questions? Yeah. So, back to my question. So, if someone has a, uh, thought that's heretical but they do something about it like they go and they like you know find out whatever are they so that no so they're not held liable so let's say somebody has a bad thought be like you know what is the Torah real? Is the Torah fake? You know, let me look into it. Right. So that that's that's fine. That's not that's not. They're not uprooting the Torah. They're trying to find the truth. This this goes into play, especially for people that never heard about the Torah. They're called Baal Tshuva. or even people that were religious from birth, but no one ever told them about this. Be like, how do you know that the Torah is real? Go on Torah anytime. There's a weird person by the name of Rabbi Zitron that goes and has 32 classes. Proving the thought, and you tell them something along those lines. So, but yeah, but the, what, that's why when you're contemplating, when you're removing, that's where the Sefer Chino goes. When you're taking things that you're removing away from the Torah, that's when you're held liable for those heretical so thoughts. If you're removing the thought, then it's fine. If you're going and you're removing the thought, depending on how you're moving it, either intellectually or, or it's a fleeting thought, then you're not held liable. Yeah. But if you, so then look into it. So by looking into that, that's not, you're not lusting after, you're not, it's, it's something that you're intellectually coming to a conclusion for it. But again, it really depends on the thought process that it is. Because 
I'm answering very broad because there are some thoughts, there are some, not thoughts, there are some concepts that are beyond human understanding. Like what was before God? That doesn't matter. Like that's not, like if, if, because people come over to me with these types of questions. What was before God? If God created the world, then he was a creation, then maybe something had to create before him. And maybe something, so maybe there's a creator, maybe there's multiple gods. Now there's a very simple answer to that, and the answer is that you're thinking in the essence of of time. Because the way that we work is that we work in time. So there's a creation followed by a create, you know, there's a creator and there's the creation. And it goes in a process. So the, you know, the inventor happened a while back and now we have the invention. But when you take off time, then there doesn't have to, that changes the fact of the, of was there anything before God or was, there was nothing before God. Because there was no time. There was no, the before is a concept of time. So there's many questions that, it depends. Is, is there something that are answerable and something that are not meant to be asked because we cannot comprehend it? Not because there's no answers to it, because it's something we can't comprehend. We cannot comprehend things that are above and beyond time. But if someone's just like the type of person that they just question a lot, so like if they have the thought, then they go and they get an answer, like they're fine. Yeah, if they're going in and they have a thought and they're asking a rabbi, say, hey, listen, what what does it mean with this? Then then you know they're just they're just uncovering the intellectually the thought process, the philosophical uh, thought process of the Torah. That is fine. But again, it really depends on the particular thought. That's a very broad answer. But once we get into in nitty gritties of it, it might change depending on the the thing that you. So for whoever has these constant thoughts should speak to a rabbi, say, hey, listen, is this something that I'm allowed to think about? Is this something that I'm asking? Is it okay? Because it really, it really is tailor-fed. Uh, Any other questions? Yeah. Um, do bad thoughts that go under, like, I guess the worst categories, or really any bad thought, um, do they come from, like, the other side of holiness, like the Sahara? And if you're just like, hi, Sahara, I know that you're trying to, like, mess with me, and you're just like, hey, go away, bye. Yeah, so your question is like this, do bad thoughts come from the evil inclination? So from the, so, so yes and no. Um, yes that it does come because of the evil inclination, but at the same point in time, we also invite those bad thoughts. Whether subconsciously or consciously, we invite it. So, especially for example, um, people that have depression, let's say, or maybe anxiety would be a better, maybe anxiety would be a better, uh, a diagnosis to go discuss. So they have, a basic anxiety status. Now, let's say they can't go into an elevator, right? They're nervous that it's going to fall, whatever it is. So they go, or an escalator, whatever it is. So they have this anxiety related to it. So they have the basic thing. But what happens is when they get in their own mind, they make it a lot worse than what it actually really is. So they take something that maybe the Yetzirah just like, hey, you know, like, think about someone murdering you and you... Even better yet, think about a spider crawling in your nostril when you're sleeping. Okay, and I'm sorry. Okay, I, you know, a source I didn't realize that. Um, so, you know, and then anxiety is like you know three steps ahead of that person because it's their own thought process because they're not correcting it. And within a few seconds, they don't have a spider in their nose. They have a family of spiders sitting in their belly. You know, like they're taking it to the next level. So while the evil inclination said like you know like hey. Psst, Spider nose, and then it's out of there. And you take that and you run with it. So there is both. Ap- why, why am I saying it in that in that manner? Because any action that you do, any any thought process that you do, yeah, it could stem from the evil inclination. But what you do with that initial thought depends on where you go. So let's say if somebody has a there's an evil thought that comes into immoral thought that comes into a person's head. That could be based off of the evil inclination. But if you go and you contemplate and you, you go with it and you fly with it, then you're held responsible. But if you say, no, 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 and, you, and you're able to replace that thought with a good thought, yeah. then you're not held reliable. So it, it goes both. Your answer to your question is really both. Does anyone talk about it? Like, does anyone make literature talk about it? Like, 
in terms of like literally talking because if it's the Ikahara, then it's an energy that's not actually yourself. And it's easier to like fight against something outside of yourself than yourself. So you're just like That is why that if you um, so the evil inclination has has certain criteria that he's able to work with. So if you're like, let's say, this righteous rabbi that's never been, you know, like like secluded, like he's not going to be like, hey, go on the internet. And be like, what's the internet? You know, like he's not going to introduce you to things that are not. It, it's based off your, so it, it really goes both because it's based off your personal upbringing, personal experiences, and then temptation that comes into it. So yes, it's a third party. Yes, it's something that's out there. And yes, you could deal with it in that manner, but it's also dealing with yourself. Because... Unfortunately, in now day and age, we tend to push blame on others. Yeah. And it's easier that way. It's like, you know, it's my parents' fault that I became this way. It's, you know, it's my teacher's fault that I became this way. And it's easier. And again, I'm not judging anybody. Everybody has their own upbringing, their own situation. And really, people have a hard time, and, and it does come into play. But ultimately speaking, the more that you push your blame on others, the less that you're going to fix yourself. When you fix yourself, that's when you're able to go and to be able to move on in life. And, I, and I'll give you an example. So I gave... Um, a few weeks ago, there somebody came here and I did did a few uh, um, short minute clips, uh, and I forgot what was it. Uh, meaningful. Meaningful. So one of the one of the minutes, moments, meaningful moments, whatever it does. Yeah. So I, I had a I, I gave a a short clip over there on a fact that saying that you are, the title was you are the problem. That many people go to therapists and they say this is the therapist not good, this therapist not good, this therapist not good, this therapist everybody's not good. And I, I say, listen, when every, when that happens, that doesn't mean that the therapist's not good. Maybe, just maybe, you're the problem and not the therapist. So people like to tend, to, and I got such oh, such such heat from this one minute class. Oh my god, you don't even know what I was dealing with this. Uh, you know, with this one minute class. Like, oh, you know, like uh, how could you say that? How do you know? You know, so so it's the same concept. And I and I hold, I still hold strong by why I say it. We tend to push blame on others. Now, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not putting people down that people went through hard upbringings. People went through hard upbringings, and, and you know what? It's sad, and yes, God takes that into account. But you're not going to change yourself by changing the past. The past happened already. The only way to change right now is by changing you. And by saying you are the problem, it's uncomfortable. No one likes to hear that. No one likes to hear that I'm the problem. People like to hear, my parents are the problem, my spouse is the problem, this is the problem, my teacher is the problem, somebody else is the problem, not by me. But the more that you do that, you will never change. When you change, and this is why AA has the same thing. The first thing that you say is, I have a problem. If you want to go, if you have so many questions on God, there's, you know, I have people that ask me constantly questions on God. Like questions like, how does this work? And they're constantly asking questions on Torah. Now, is it really that they're intellectually looking for these, you know, for, for the answers? Or they're looking for the questions? Or they're constantly looking for the questions. So they're saying the Torah is faulty. Is it faulty? Really? Or maybe your mindset is faulty. Like why are you looking for holes when you have been proven time and time again that it's true? So people like to put the fault on something else and blame on something else rather than upon themselves. Now, as difficult and hard as it was, I still stand very strongly by what I said. That, that you know, and, and this goes even to my own personal life, my family's own personal life, everybody's own personal life. If there's something going on that's wrong, Think about you. What can you change for a moment? Because guess what? The easiest thing to change is yourself, even though it's the hardest thing at the same point in time. Because you're not going to change your family. You're not going to change your situation. The easiest thing to do is change yourself, even though it's the hardest thing to do at the same point in time. So when the, more, the, the quicker that you are to admit that you need to change, the quicker you are to the path of change. So if somebody has these depressing thoughts and they think like, you know, like, okay, it's never going to happen. It's never going to, guess what? You're never going to change it. But if you get out of this class today and say, you know what? That's 
said, I'm going to work on not having any more negative thoughts. Forget about spirituality. I'm talking about emotional well-being. I'm not going to have any more depressive thoughts. The second the depressive thoughts are going to come into my mind, I'm going to think about gratitude. Something I'm going to be grateful for. That's going to change your life. But if you say, why do I have to be grateful? It's not my fault. It's this person's fault. It's, this per- it's God's fault. Oh, it's God. Everything is God's fault. All of a sudden, they believe in God. Right? Everything is all God's fault. Stop for a second. It changes your whole, your whole mindset. It's a heart. It's a, it's a wake-up call. It really is. It's difficult to think about that, that, that you're responsible for your own actions. Something that we don't understand as Americans. But it is. And the more that you come into that, as hard as it is, the greater that you are to a path of success. The greater that you are to, to a path of happiness as well. Question, right? Wait, wait. Did I answer your question? Yeah, Right. I know you asked me a question and I was like on a four hour oh, lecture, but yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So sorry. Um, I don't understand the whole um, if you think our thoughts, all bad thoughts disappear. Like, I don't it's not that all bad thoughts, this is what the Kutzka Rebbe goes and explains. It's not that all bad thoughts are going to disappear. <clears throat> think about it like this. Let's use Army for example. There are a bunch of people that came into this room with, not this room, a different room that you're having. That not you, but somebody's whatever. You get what I'm saying, right? A bunch of people came into a room with swords. 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 Yeah, olden day, right? Swords. You know, pushing. You know, like one of those, you know, swords, and be like, you know, and they do one of those things. Um, and they come into the swords. And these people, these beings, are bad thoughts. Now you have ways of either running out of the room, you know, hand-to-hand combat, you know, whatever it is that you want. Think of the Torah with a machine gun. So you're like a machine gun against those bad thoughts. So the bad thoughts come in and you're going to take out this thing and be like, what you got? I think, you know, and you just like take them all out in the most loving way possible. um, Those bad thoughts. Now, is it going to prevent? No, you could miss some of those those people, right? They could be ninjas, uh, you know, practice in Japan and, you know, they could do three somersaults in front of it, whatever it is, but it's, it's the most powerful way to get rid of it. Emuna, Bitachon, um, if you want to think, if you want to really have the end, then yeah, like like anything Torah, like even Chumash, yeah. Think about a story about the uh, Avraham Avinu. You know, I don't know, whatever. You think about something Torah related is is already a a uh, you know a Torah thought, and that already combats you know combats it. If you're a man, I would say think about Gemara because the the way that it works is like this, and this maybe will answer your question. The deeper and the more difficult the concept that you're thinking about, the better that you have at evacuating those bad thoughts. Meaning that if you're working, if you're, let's say you're listening to a class. So let's say the class is a very light class. It's stories, it's funny, it's this. So it's very easy to listen to. And you could listen to it, but you could, your mind could also wander at the same point. I mean, you could still listen to it. But let's, if you, let's say you, you need to focus on a really difficult class. Like it's, you, there's so many things that are going back and forth and you're writing notes and you're going back and you're asking questions and there's so many things. Where is it less likely that your mind will wander? The more difficult one. So the more difficult concept that you understand in Torah, the more that you're focusing your mind on something else, the more that your mind blocks off anything else. That makes sense? So that's why I would say, like, let's say for men, it's Gemara. They're learning Gemara all the time, they focus on that. For a woman, whatever it is that you were learning, whatever it is that you can't, you know, maybe you learned on yourself, the more that, the deeper and more intellectually stimulating that it is, the better of a power that it has against removing those thoughts. Okay? Question? No. Question? Question. Like say you have a good thought for the same mitzvah, but then you have 
bad thoughts coming in for that. So can you be punished and rewarded? You say you get reward for a good thing. But if it's the same thing that you're thinking of, just on different sides okay. of the thing. That's, a, that's an interesting question. That's, that's also a difficult question. So we have to break it down, actually. So let's say, let's say you, you did a good deed and you have a bad thought not to do the good deed or whatever it is, but you did the good deed, so you don't get punished on that thought because you didn't follow through with that action. Because it's only if you follow through on the thought of the action do you get punished for the thought as well. But let's say you had a bad, you had a bad, you had a good deed that you wanted to do, or a neutral deed that it could go either good or bad, and you decided to do the, you had bad thoughts, and then you went and you did the bad thing, then you get punished for the bad thing as well. So it doesn't, when you're thinking, doesn't negate one another. It all depends on the outcome, unless it's those things that we mentioned, those four things that we mentioned, on the, the, you know, the heresy, the, you know, the immorality, the idolatry, or the, co- you know, the coveting. That all depends on. But otherwise, it depends on, it depends on your, on your outcome. But if you have a bad thought and then you quickly replace it with a good thought, that bad thought is null and void. It doesn't. There's nothing to it. Any other questions? Any other questions on the camera? Okay, Chazakabo. Thank you all. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.